I got, I got to go fix the system because the system doesn't work. So I'm going to take it upon myself to go and do what I think is right. Who's to say what you think is right is what is right? Flick Lab, episode 131. Dirty Harry. Harry Q got to ask yourself only one question. How lucky do you feel this afternoon, punk? Knowing that I'm doing the Flick Lab, not lucky at all. I would say I'm straight out of luck. What about Zack? Feeling lucky? If I had to watch these movies again, I would definitely feel more unlucky. Yeah, that, that, <clears throat> okay, I will leave the discussion for a later time. <laughs> Preview of coming attractions. <laughs> Zach, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. You are now appearing in this podcast. Who are you? I am. Super happy to be here. Glad to be on the Flick Lab. I'm Zach. I'm an American. I live in America. I live in Boston, to be specific. And uh, I'm an all-around film nerd, and I feel like I'm in the company of two fellow film nerds. And super excited to dig into Dirty Harry, Mr. Clint Eastwood. I've heard a rumor that you have had, you've had some studies in the field of cinema. I did. Those rumors are true. The other rumors are not true, though, I swear. My oh. brother was my bad influence. But the other rumors are true. I did study film at university. My undergrad is in television and film production. And my graduate school work was in law and public policy, which will come in handy during this episode. You might be just the guy who has the most authority here to talk about films. Or the most, <laughs> most, you know, permission to talk about films. Me, myself, I studied also audiovisual communication in Finland. Henrik, what do you do? Or what, what have you done? You know, currently I'm co-hosting the Fake Lab. Oh, well, that, that is a merit of some kind, of course. And on top of that, you seem to be studying at the University of Lapland. This is a film podcast where we try to discuss mostly international cinema, films from other countries than the United States or English-speaking countries, and compare English-speaking movies to some other films. What kind of angles do we have here, guys? I guess I like to touch on the technical if I find something technical. Tonight I'm going to be rather more concentrating on, I guess what we're all concentrating on, the character of Dirty Harry and what it might mean to us, and what it what its implications might be. Is it a character, or is he a caricature? Find out soon. <laughs> what is Dirty Harry? Well, Dirty Harry has been often seen as a, at least partial inspiration for many action films after, and the anti-hero films, as we like to call them, like Die Hard and Schwarzenegger's action movies. The thing is, however, that many films were there before Dirty Harry in playing the anti-heroes. So this is, this for sure, Dirty Harry popularized the concept of the anti-hero. But what's your, what's your thoughts on that, guys? The first anti-hero? Dirty Harry is a certain type of archetype of a movie cop. And when it comes to that archetype, there, which of there are several, Dirty Harry is, is the most prominent 
figure of, of his own archetype. I am to a point where Dirty Harry alone basically has become the embodiment of of that archetype and where the where the character itself is already so iconic that basically every action movie ever since has borrowed something from Dirty Harry. Be it the looks, be it some one-liner, but basically you can just, you know, take one line from the movies and just drop it into anything and people will automatically catch up that that's the context. This is a police inspector movie series where indeed Clint Eastwood plays the lead role of Inspector Dirty Harry Callahan. The role was first offered for many people, John Wayne, Frank Sinatra, many others. The script was first titled Dead Right and penned by the husband and wife duo Harry Julian Fink and Rita M. Fink. The core of the story was how far a free democratic society can go to protect itself. And the screenwriter John Emilius has said that his main contribution to the film was lots of guns. And the cop being the same as the killer, except the cop here has obviously a badge, and he wanted the film to be like a Kurosawa detective film, or his film Stray Dog. Milius desired Scorpio to be a, as an outrageous character, as outrageous as possible. Scorpio stays as an outrageous character in the film, and one that has been criticized for being overly cartoony, and without clear motives apart from serving the role of the conspicuous antagonist. The film also went through several hands until it settled at Warner Bros. Warner wanted uh, either Sidney Pollack or Irving Kirshner to direct. Kirshner was hired when Sinatra was attached to the film, but Sinatra left and then so did Kirshner. Many actors and, and one studio had their con concerns with the level of violence and the moral story of consequentialism. Paul Newman was one of the approached actors, and since the story was a little bit too right-wing for him, he suggested Clint Eastwood would enjoy this vehicle. And not only did he sign in, he also chose to be the film's producer by his company. The question of whether Dirty Harry is right-wing, left-wing or any-wing might be up for discussion. Other people who were thought of or were offered the role are George C. Scott, he was offered the part, turned down due to violence, John Wayne was considered, Burt Lancaster considered, Robert Mitchum considered, Steve McQueen uh, considered. And the film, as mentioned, uh, revolves around the consequentialism, the ends justify the means. Anything about that at this point? I mean, I think that's definitely the central theme here is... I'm going to go so far as to say, yes, he's a right-wing cop who always believes the ends justify the means. It, interesting, you, the, the, the term anti-hero gets sort of pinned on him. Mm. I, I don't know if I would consider him an anti-hero. I think that, I, I think, I mean, he, by all means, I mean, an anti, if, if we're defining an anti-hero as a protagonist who does not hold traditional heroic attributes, then... By that sheer definition, then I'd say yes, he's an antihero. But I don't think the film thinks he's an antihero. I think the film just thinks he's a hero. I think the film just thinks he's doing the right thing. The film. He's the only one man enough to do it. Yeah, the film very much takes this approach to to Harry that, 
and plays a lot of lip service to- towards Harry in, in his attitudes and his actions. It, the franchise itself, as, as a whole, it's a kind of curious case of, of mixed identities where Dirty Harry the character is like the biggest badass that the silver screen has ever had. But Dirty Harry the franchise is complete chicken shit coward that from sequel to sequel always tries to somehow address and rub under the, the rock the criticism that the previous parts ha- have attained. I like that you don't mince your words, Henrik. I like well, that you that, just that, put it out there. <laughs> well, that that's my style, but come on, when it comes to Dirty Harry, it's, it's kind of extremely clear. Or it, it is and it's not. Like like the sweeping under the rock part. That that's really obvious. It's like in your face. Like ever since the first film, Dirty Harry One, the whole character has been criticized that he's a fascist. That's one of the the most common criticisms that that Dirty Harry One got. Dirty Harry is a fascist. So then comes comes the sequel, Magnum Force, which tries to argue to you, to you that Callahan isn't a fascist. He shoots fascists. And see, he even has a black sidekick and, and he makes a line that respects the gay rights offhandedly. And then it's like, no, no, you dumb nut. Callahan isn't sovinist. That's what the third film screams. See? Callahan teams up with a woman and he's kind of bound when the lady gets killed. And no, guys, come on. Callahan really, honest to God, isn't a sovereignist. Wimper's the fourth film, where, see, now he's dealing with a gang rape victim. See, he's pro-woman. He's, he's pro-empowerment. And finally, we have the, oh, ho, 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 no, you silly buns. Dirty Harry movies ain't overtly violent media, you quadro tar fackets. Basically, what even is violent media? Like, have you seen violent media? Violent media isn't a physical thing, so how can you be sure that Dirty Harry films are violent media? You can find violent media in every, everything from, from horror films and, and loud music. And eventually the fifth film basically just settles down with the statement that Dirty Harry isn't violent media and violent media isn't problem. The problem really are, well, the mentally ill. And, and from that statement, for the for the closing statement of the fifth film, you can kind of ask, so, so make the question that, well, if violence in society is simply caused by mentally ill people and Callahan himself is embraces violence in all his actions, does that mean that Callahan himself is a mentally ill? And at this point, the entire franchise is like, I'm I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm I'm done with this. Just please, please go away. Here, have a video game that where you battle the opioid addiction by, well, murdering absolutely every single person that you come in contact with, and that's the franchise. It's always easy to go back fifty years ago when now the first Dirty Harry came out, and to blame it off being this and that. There there are those elements. It's still important, I would say, to put it into the context of what the creators, at least of the first film, were trying to look for. So the film clearly is a representative of the divisions politically in America in 1971. There was, once again, a Vietnam War. It was released right before the Watergate scandal, which influenced the second film 
It was only a year away during the first one. And this first film drew inspiration heavily from the Zodiac Killer. Uh, in the film, of course, known as Scorpio. Harry is often considered to be the first anti-hero, but uh, I would also say that it's, that it's quite inaccurate. Like, two years earlier, if you want to draw a comparison that is very close to me, Bond had already gone rogue, had sex with three or more ladies while he was in a romantic relationship with another lady, went against his superior and then joined forces with the second largest crime syndicate in the world. Not to mention James Bond. He is a character constantly going against direct orders. Dirty Harry, I see more as kind of a American sense of what a James Bond maybe should be. Now, what do you mean by by that notion? Like James Bond in one way. Like you you mentioned that it's easy to go back to fifty years and just be overtly critical. And from that point on, I'd say that Dirty Harry is a fascist and that wouldn't be a fair take on, on the character, but that we should put him in the, in the time and cultural context. But what do you actually mean with that? So I didn't say that the elements would not be there. I'm just saying what was meant to be done with the Dirty Harry, which was to be a kind of a healer, the, the, the healer after the Zodiac killers where there was a lot of criticism towards authority and the police. And uh, this is there to kind of give the emotional release for for the public that, well, we didn't catch Zodiac Killer, but we're going to do this instead, where a uh, cop goes completely against authority, of course, which you shouldn't do. We can discuss if the movie or the franchise wants to support any of these kind of actions. And hopefully the answer is no. I would have to contradict you with you and say that Dirty Harry was not meant to be any type of healer of any kind of a societal trauma that the United States could have been going through during the time. What, what do you mean with that? It's very Well, there's no healing aspect whatsoever in, in Dirty Harry. Vengeance. You don't really even get vengeance. What, what you get... In, in cinema screen is basically extremely radical and actually quite proto-fascist ideas which you are, are trying to slip into you with a sugar-coated biscuit which is, well, doesn't this crime in case, be it the Scorpio crime spree, be it the fascist motorcycle cop, be it the gang rape of a of a two young women doesn't this kind of just you know massage your your liberal ideals and since you are opposing these things like you know gang rape of a, of a two ladies or or the zodiac killer well wouldn't you then approve and agree with harry and his actions and when you look at harry's actions you well there's actually nothing agreeable on in, in Dirty Harry, he's a, he's a cop who doesn't know the basics of law enforcement. And he even isn't, you know, standing for any individual rights of, of everyday American individual. Harry opposes courts, he opposes restrictions, he opposes accountability. He doesn't respect investigative process, he doesn't respect individual human rights. And he champions just 
using brutal force and violence to anyone that he alone has judged to be somehow ill-fitting. And in doing so, what, what Harry demands is unquestionable authority to one sect of people or to one, pe one person. It's either to the cops, cops should be allowed to do absolutely whatever they want, or Dirty Harry alone should be able to do whatever he, he wants. And in, in this case, Dirty Harry is an embodiment of one man or one sect of ruling unquestionably and uncontrollably over others. If you look at the second film and the famous moment when Harry is in the car with his superior who has come out as the bad guy. Dirty Harry gives this speech to him that uh, what you're doing wrong and this is just a slippery slope, what you're doing, it's never gonna end. The same indeed could be said of Dirty Harry himself, whose morals are all over the place during the franchise. Yeah, Dirty Harry is meant to be the most illiberal character in the most liberal city, San Francisco, or so it seems. And he is out to challenge the quote-unquote emasculated law enforcement. And Eastwood continues his cowboy roles from the modern, in this modern mise-en-scene. Now it's it's a contemporary modern western. It's kind of like you you got a character from a western and you just put him in this film, where he is completely clueless about the, the laws that he's supposed to follow. But yeah, Harry was supposed to be speaking to a rising anger in the public, but also did stir anger. Whereas I see the first film as like revenge fantasy for Zodiac, it gets a little bit more murkier in the sequels. Oh, it gets plenty of murky already in, in the first one. Like, like certainly you can, you can drop the, the revenge angle when it comes to, to Harry versus Scorpio. But once again, when it comes to the argument that Harry was supposed to somehow heal something in the American psyche, it, the, the question still remains, heal exactly what and how? Like by, by showing that human rights don't matter, that that's supposed to be the healing factor? Yeah. Or, or, the, or the fact that what, what society really wants is just one guy who ha has a gun and can do whatever he wants without accountability, without, you know, any restrictions put on to him. Basically, what Harry ends up doing in, in the film, even in the first one, he just makes open mockery about the law. And I, like, like, once again, the question remains, exactly what was that supposed to heal? I, I can understand that it was supposed to argue that the modern law, law enforcement doesn't work. And as you put it, the, the law enforcement has been emasculated. But the only solution that even the first Dirty Harry film opposes is that there should be no accountability at all. It, it should be a free reign for the cops. And if you're looking for something fascist in the film, there's the quote from Dirty Harry that might, might be the most damning, if you want to put it into that context, quote, nothing wrong with shooting as long as the right people get shot, end quote. Then again, the, the word fascist has been overused, and this is still not... Well, you can read it as fascist, all right? But there was no, like, any kind of a deeper meaning for it. Clint Eastwood said, quote, I guess I could 
pseudo-intellectualize and dig up some deep meaning behind everything we did, but the death wasn't beyond the man's frustration, end quote. Which again and I call bullshit on that sentiment. It so, can so, be so wait, that, wait, that wait, Clint let's... Eastwood himself does not understand what hell the hell is happening with his character. In the end, even in one of his own films that the man himself directed, when the, when the character is constantly like, I hate the system, and the law is crazy, and I have the policy that I just shoot the bastard. But isn't this like the, the MO of most action films? Look at Steven Seagal or anything. You have an anti-hero who kills people without warning, and we enjoy that. Should we consider all most action films as fascist by this virtue? Are you now talking about the same Steven Seagal who in his own film advocated that what you should do is, you know, buy a hut and then start collect firearms in case that you have to go against your own government? aggressively and violently with the firearms, I may add. Like that 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 Steven Seagal, his his very own movie, which he directed during his heyday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can then use this blanket statement to say that any action movie is fascist by the virtue that they're not following orders and they're going rogue. Action movies that... still have a lot of them have characters who are accountable for their actions. Take James Bond, for example, who is constantly accountable for his bosses. His bosses may, of course, turn the blind eye and look the other way. But James Bond, for example, has a, has a system behind him which he upholds no. and into which he believes and which still is holding him accountable for his actions. If you look at these equals, if you take them into the context of Dirty Harry, he gives the indication that he wants to follow the orders, he wants to follow the law, but then he doesn't. Kind of like James Bond or any action hero. They do their things and James justify Bond, the I means. He doesn't do his th- things purely willy-nilly. Go ahead. Well, I, th- I think, okay, reasonable people can have reasonable conversations of where they draw the line between this is fascism or it's not fascism. That's that's fine. But it's undeniable that this character has served as the template for countless action films in the decades that followed. And I think Steven Seagal is a great example of that, as well as Schwarzenegger and Stallone and all the others. This is a character who does not give a shit about what he's being told he needs to do. He's just going to go do what he thinks he needs to do. Damn the consequences of whatever the repercussions of those are. And (laughs) does that cross the line into fascism? I think there are times, sure, when it does. Is it entirely fascist? I don't know. Again, that's something that reasonable people can have reasonable conversations over. But it, uh, it, it is definitely a a scathing condemnation uh, to me of the sort of state of policing and the state of how the right wing can view the role of government and the role of police. I mean, yeah, he's mm-hmm. essentially just taking it upon himself to say, I just have to, I got, I got to go fix the system because the system doesn't work. So I'm going to take it upon myself to go and do what I think is right. Which is absolutely now, wrong. Which is absolutely wrong because, Oh, well, God, for let me just beseech thee, beseech myself before thee, because it's what you think is right. Great. Who's to say what you think is right is what is right? Who's determining what is right? 
So he's going to walk around with his forty-four Magnum, the most powerful handgun, and just go around shooting people. Because yeah, that's what and, he thinks he has to do. And, and he can do this with blatant and constant record, uh, disregard towards, for example, the innocent civilians who might get caught in the crossfire. That the first film already has has the famous city street shootout where um, Harry is, is stopping the, the bank robbers and there are civilians all over the street and Harry just starts blasting because what the fuck not. And later on in the sequels, we have like, for example, the liquor store hostage situation where mm. the, the robbers are holding like three hostages at gunpoint and Harry just drives the car through the through the store window and just starts blasting. Like, what yeah. about the hostages? Weren't you supposed to make sure that, that nothing happens to hostages? And they, it's, it's okay, it's celebrated. Like, this type of action and attitude is exactly what we want, says the Dirty Harry movies. And it tries to kind of paint over the problematic aspects of Harry's character by simply... By, by virtue of the hostages miraculously teleporting off screen and then returning back unharmed that, well, you know, with, with dirty Harrys out in the street, no harm can done because Harry only suits bad people. And therein lies the key problem. Harry and the righteous skills, his attitude of Harry versus the pencil-pushing son of a bitches. Yeah, the villain's acts are so heinous that it calls for unconventional ways and part of the audience accepted that but the problem is that Dirty Harry's antics would not provide any favorable results in real life first of all he would not only deny everyone a legal process because he would just shoot them point blank and in real life Harry would do miscalculations and could kill an innocent person or two or three or four at the, at the very least, he is endangering or would endanger innocent bystanders to reckless chases where there would be, as the, the, the US like to call, collateral damage. Yeah, and that is pretty much on par with fascist rhetoric, where you get the notion of, of basically the one strong individual, the übermensch, who is someone who can... Basically, whose actions are always right and who always ends up doing the right judgment in any given situation. Let me shoot one more quote here from Don Siegel, the director of the first film, who said, quote, I'm a liberal. I lean to the left. Clint is conservative. He leans to the right. At no point in making the film did we ever talk politics. I don't make political movies. I was telling the story of a hard-nosed cop and a dangerous killer. What my liberal friends did not grasp was that the cop is just as evil in his way as the sniper, end quote. This is the kind of a Yojimbo, license to kill story arc. Henrik is Yojimbo fascist. Again, is James Bond fascist? And do you think Don Siegel is fascist? Or is he accidentally communicating fascist ideas? What, what do you Don want to communicate here? Don Siegel made that quote, that is true. Donald Siegel also made a bunch of films where, for example, the hippies are some pe are portrayed repeatedly as, as filthy drug users who yeah. should be brutalized by 
some kind of a tough character. This isn't the first Don Siegel Clint Eastwood cooperation where Eastwood, for example, would play a dirty Harry esque character. So when it, when it comes to the notion, oh, there is nothing political in my movies, and then you have basically the constant manhandling of of the liberal youth of America. Not a political act, says Don Siegel. You, for, in Dirty Harry, you have got the, cons uh, the blatant disregard to any rules when it comes to policing. Not a political statement, says Siegel. And I kind of say bullshit. So Yeah, I'm going to jump on that train with you there, Henrik. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll call bullshit with you. And... <laughs> you you can say, oh yeah, I'm a liberal, and 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 Clint over there, he's a conservative. But no, we we came at this for you know, really, he's just as evil as the stuff. Okay, you can think that, but you didn't show that on film, and that at the end of the day is what we're is is what what we're we're talking about. Uh, it's interesting to to go back really quickly to, uh, you know, I never thought about it until you just mentioned it, uh, Kari, about what does this where does this film sit. This is 1971, is that right? The very first one? Correct. 1971, this is in the middle of the Nixonian era where Richard Nixon, you know, definitely top five, maybe top three worst presidents the United States has ever had, uh, was very anti-hippie, anti-black, anti-liberal. I mean, he used the power of the White House to try to shut down all of those bad people, quote-unquote. Uh, and now thinking about Nixon's role in that, this film actually makes even more sense. This looks like this was made f to be presented to Nixon on a silver platter for, for dessert after a T-bone steak. Uh, this is exactly what Nixon would have gotten a, a, a huge boner over. Not that I like to think about Richard Nixon getting a boner, but you know. I don't know what he intended. Intent, I think, would require me to get in his head, and I don't know what's in there. But I can tell you what the effect was. I can tell you what, what he did. Whether he intended to or not, I think he made a film that was definitely more on the fascist side. I mean, this is, this is a, a cop who decides that he's going to serve as judge, jury, and executioner. No due process of law. Uh, complete disregard for the for uh, the the rights that are entitled to any suspect, and he's just going to go and just do what he thinks is right because the system is really what's the what the problem is. It's very conservative, very right wing American uh, philosophy that then went on to serve as not only the template for future action movies, but I, God, I mean, I think Dirty Harry is probably partially what's wrong with that generation of American men. You know, the, look at this role model yeah, they were given. This, absolutely. This, this cowboy, I like that you called him a cowboy because you're right. He is a cowboy, except he's not wearing a cowboy hat and he's not in like the Old West, quote unquote. He's, he's in a city. So he's a city slicking cowboy who's that generation of men grew up on watching in Clint Eastwood's earlier films. And now they're seeing him in modern times working in the big city as a cop. This rough rider who's going to drink beer and eat beef, and God forbid he is not going to put ketchup on his hot dog, because no one does that. And he's going to be the greatest, most conservative line, tough on crime, uh, and he's always going to get his man. I mean, he's... This is porn for the American conservative archetype. 
except there's just no nudity. Well, I take that back. There actually is a fair bit of nudity in some of these movies, which is something we can get into later. <laughs> Imagine how many policemen must have been inspired by this film in their youth. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah, it's and, scary and this, is, this, this is what's shaping their idea of what a cop is supposed to be. Someone who goes out into the streets with their their forty four Magnum, most powerful handgun. Sorry, I had to do it again. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, yeah, that's what they think a, a cop does. And I'm sure at some point we will get into the legal nitty-gritty of that of the first film and the others to follow. But, yeah, it's it's... This is a gruff asshole with a narcissistic personality disorder and a god complex and is a bully and he knows it. I mean, he is the hero of American conservatives. Paul and Kale, a critic, called it a Gestapo movie, the first one. And this mm. this has raised this claim particularly strongly that Dirty Harry would be fascist. And uh, Finland banned Dirty Harry, actually, for depictions of violence and mental health. Uh, Dirty Harry's distributors weren't pleased with this and appealed the banning at the Finnish Supreme Administrative Court. And it was agreed to be released in the theaters, given a few cuts could be made. And then after it went to the cinemas, Finland banned the film again, resulting in yet another court case. Again in the film's favor though. Three minutes were cut in total. If you want to go on the, the kind of opening up the the legal problems of Dirty Harry at this point, go ahead, Zach. Well, I mean, I think, uh, prefacing, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I studied public policy, but I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a, a law license. But the entire premise of the first movie, the film that really sets the tone, creates the character, and cements this idea of this archetype for the next five films and for future generations of police officers, is entire bullshit. That is not the way that it works. If you are, you've got someone who's in danger, I believe he, there was like an hour left of oxygen to save the girl. Yeah, you don't have to go and get a warrant to go and search someone's home. You, you don't have time. Warrants can be gotten relatively quickly, but n- not when someone's going to suffocate in an hour. You, there, there, are, there are loopholes in the law that allow for certain things to sort of bend the rules when it comes to, to, to obtaining evidence like that. Now, generally speaking, yes, you have to get a warrant if you want to go and enter someone's home and collect evidence and stuff. And anything that you collect is then not going to be admissible in court if you don't get a warrant. It's the fruit of the poisonous tree principle. But th- th- that that was used as this reasoning in this film to say, therefore, see how bad the system is? And then it creates this entire schema of, wow, so we need brave cops like Dirty Harry to be out there fighting this rotten system that protects the criminals more than it protects the good old white folks that, that we you know we're trying to protect. Um, except it's all a sham. That's not the way it works. That's not the way any of this works. Yeah, and I would say more about the, the character of Dirty Harry and his quote-unquote uh, consequentialistic morals, which are all over the place. A mentally challenged person is free to go, but a mentally ill, violent, will get a harpoon in his stomach, which is a wider issue in all of the Dirty Harry movies. Like anyone who violently challenges or in fact, does anything with a positive or negative outcome, they're acting as a result of their environment, their 
life experiences and the brain chemistry that they're possessed. So in, uh, I don't know about Henrik, but I've done a little bit of reading on the subject before that free will demonstrably does not exist. And on this basis, you sh should there should be wider implications on how we run a hierarchy or what the consequences of a crime should be. Like retribution is meaningless and will always be counterproductive. Retribution is counterproductive when it's a committed crime. Retribution is counterproductive as a sentence of a crime. So everybody, regardless of their actions, they can be vile or incomprehensible, but they need to face trial, a fair trial and evaluation. And it is not up to us to shoot a bullet in their head. 100%. 100%. I completely agree. And in, in, in fact, part of me, you know, if I maybe were paid $100,000, I'd go back and rewatch these films uh, just to see if I could find every single time where he did kill someone to see, do I think I could give a reasonable justification in a court of law to say he needed to shoot that person because you know, they, they were about to kill him and it was either kill or be killed. Um, because then, you know, you, there, there's, there's some, some leeway there. Sure. But I would love to go back and see how many times did he just blow someone away with no threat to his own life. But that would require go back and watching these five films again. And I just, I don't have the strength. <laughs> Certain critics found interesting, though, to have an examination of where the line would go between being the good guy or being the bad guy. Honestly, I don't see it as such of an interesting topic to go with, with Dirty Harry terms anyway. Here, let's, let's assume something like that when we say good guy, we mean he or she is in support of the, the well-being of a human being in the sense that he does not intend any harm for them mentally or physically or otherwise. And bad guy is kind of the opposite of that. But the, the problem is that in real life situations, <laughs> you need evidence indeed to proceed with an investigation. You can't use your hunch, go on the scene, use your unconventional means, because this tactic is it's more likely to cause more conflict, costs, whatever issues, and will create actually more mistrust towards the police force and the government. So even if your instincts are right, it's not going to end up well. Yeah, you're going to kill an innocent person. Which, I mean, I, I would say that it's better for... I mean, this is not something I'm saying. This is a maxim that has been said before. It is better that ten guilty men go free than for one innocent man to be punished. Uh, and I think, yeah, Harry just says, oh no, fuck that. We're, we're going to punish the guilty, uh, right. and we're not going to let him get away, no, no matter what. Yeah. On paper, the, the first film, it tries to solidify um, Dirty Harry as someone who kills the people who kill others. But he should really lock them up, or at least in the first one, this behavior of killing somebody who causes harm, it's consistent. But when you go and look at the sequels, say, Sudden Impact, Harry approves the murder of people who raped someone. And from a psychological standpoint, I understand that somebody may sympathize with such of a killer, but it doesn't make it morally right, right? If, if a person is in an immediate threat to someone's life, and in that situation you can think of no other means or options, you, you have to kill that pers person. But 
In the case of these rapists, at least most of them weren't a threat to anyone's life currently. Unlike Jennifer Spencer, who was killing this as a vengeance, and Dirty Harry. So... Yeah, I mean, I'll give him this. <clears throat> Get ready, here's a compliment coming. Uh, <laughs> didn't think this would happen. I will give him this. He's morally consistent. He decides to let this killer go in the vein of supporting, quote-unquote, real justice. I, I, Knowing sort of what was happening in the film, I, I had this moment of, this is going to be interesting. Let's see what he does at the end of this film. Because you can sort of predict what's going to happen. She's going to kill... All of the all of the people who raped her and her sister, and he's going to catch her, of course. And then what's he going to do? Is he going to turn her in, or is he going to let her go? And I thought I thought it would be interesting to, as from from his character's perspective, what would he do? Okay, so at least he's morally consistent, and he said, "Yeah, well, I'm going to let her go because that's real justice. It's immoral. You're still letting a killer go, but at least he was morally consistent." No, Dirty Harry is not morally consistent, and his <laughs> universe around him is not consistent. Uh, let me let me tell you as an example, maybe sudden impact. As I stated, you know, sh- shooting dead a mentally ill person who did not po- pose any current threat to Harry. Sudden impact has the infamous quote: "As long as it doesn't break the law," says Dirty Harry. But but it must be like a conscious choice from the writers that this is kind of leaking out. Dirty Harry's own inner confusion and conflict in the character that the problem on the killer side is that she is not the female dirty harry she is just simply on a vengeance mission against these people who are not the current threat and i think what dirty harry had the first film had consistently going is that he will hunt those who kill people and he will kill them but here it was a horrible crime that was committed but does it deserve a bullet in the head years later? I would say no. Correct, I'd agree. There are other inconsistencies, or could be seen as inconsistencies, in the Deadpool. Harry is sympathetic towards a drag addict rock musician, but not so much towards the bar-dwelling lady later on. I believe it's in that film. She's not even a human. I'm still processing to this day that that was Jim Carrey. Still processing it. I'm still processing that Guns N' Roses appeared in that film, and I've been a Guns N' Roses fan since 2004, and I had never even heard of it, that they're there. But that was nice. If, if, we, if we can have a quick moment of, of levity, just to acknowledge that Jim Carrey, while is a very talented actor, is not so great in this film, but it's very early in his career. Uh, but the lip-syncing was not good. No. Uh, if he if he were to go onto RuPaul's Drag Race and have to lip sync for his life, he would not be saving himself. He would get a Shantae away. The guy had not learned the lyrics before shooting, or it was supposed no. to be in that way, as shitty as possible. <laughs> Do you agree on the notion that the first Dirty Harry was the exaggeration of a left-wing villain, and then they keep shifting this left-wing-right-wing dynamic? Magnum Force, it's supposed to be the right-wing vigilante cops, the cops who want to minimize the influence of the state to take matters into their own hands. The third one takes the influence from the far-leftist Symbionese Liberation Army, I believe, of the 70s. Mm. Uh, And the fourth one then goes to, well, right-wing vigilante killer. Do you think that's accurate, that it keeps shifting this dynamic, left-wing, right-wing? 
I can see how maybe they were trying to go for this. We're going to go from left wing to right wing. We're going to mm-hmm. try to provide m- multiple perspectives here, but none of those really landed with me uh, in, in, in any meaningful way. Maybe just because the for the first one is maybe the strongest film. They're not fantastic, but I would say that the first one's probably the strongest, and it yeah. just so cements this idea of who this person is. It it was really hard for me to shake that idea going through the next four films. What was strongest was the commitment to the very 70s helicopter establishing shots with the opening titles with the shitty techno music in the background. Oh, it was very 70s. Harry, would you like to go to a Dirty Harry techno party? Nope. Nope. Loud and clear. (laughs) This horrifying dialogue pieces. Well, it's okay because Dirty Harry hates everybody equally, whether they are Mexicans or white or black or whatever the case. Yeah, the blatant use of the slurs in in the in the first film were, <laughs> I guess, apropos for what this film was trying to create and these characters it was trying to to establish. Mm. Quote, hood can kill a cop, but cop can't kill a hood, end quote. Again, this is this, this kind of nonsensical frustration of a policeman. Of course, of course. You know, cop can't kill a hood. Cop is on the side of the law. If there's any chance to catch the hood alive, then you do it. I mean, this is just kind of stupid dialogue. It's stupid because cop can kill a hood. It's a, it's a non-statement. Paints a problem to a situation where there is none. I mean, case example eight. Look at Dirty Harry films. Dirty Harry moves around, down hoods like like none other. And there really is not, once again, to keeping with the tones of, of, of the franchise, there is no punishment for Harry whatsoever at all. Not in any real sense. The, the fact that he got transport into personnel for like five minutes does not count as as any kind of a punishment for killing a whole bunch of hoods. I'm now looking for the YouTube musical remix where the hood can kill a cop but cop can kill a hood is played on repeat with some oomp oomp and then intercut with clips of Harry taking all of them down. But the, the, the whole whole who can kill who argument, it's once again, it's a reinforcement of the whole idea that the system is broken, which is supposed to be give Dirty Harry himself the justification to hate the system, as he himself states. And that is both in in service of the fascist rhetoric of of the franchise but it also that the second one where this happens the magnum force it tries to do this uh, use the the statement cop can kill a hood as a kind of a sneaky counter argument to the whole notion that dirty harry him himself wouldn't be a fascist and this would be something that would be absolutely required because once again the legal system itself is so impotent Eastwood directed one of these scenes where Harry goes on a side mission to show more hairiness. The scene where, in the first film, he uses the crane to rescue the suicidal man. There's quite a few scenes like this that just don't have anything to do with the main storyline, but 
just Clint Eastwood doing the Dirty Harry thing. Well, no, I think the, I think it serves a purpose. The purpose it serves is to show not only is he always right, but he's also always in the right place at the right time. That at least conveniently. Yeah. I like how you call, how you worded it. The hairiness, <laughs> very hairy. Thirty six million of revenue on a four million budget, the sixth highest crossing film of nineteen seventy one in the U S. Uh, ahead of Harry, there were. Diamonds Are Forever, and Summer of 42, The French Connection, Billy Jack, and on the first place, Fiddler on the Roof. It was a pretty quality year. Huh? That was a good year for film. Anything you want to specifically add about Magnum Force? There's a recurring quote in the film. Man's got to know his limitations. Harry could take his own advice, don't you think? In what, what, what sense... In the sense that he should be the cop, know his limitations, stay in the office or stay in the field and stop killing people. Follow the law. In a nutshell. But, but the law is crazy. <laughs> How dare someone try to impart limits on this righteous, righteous man. The law was crazy in the first one. After this, Harry keeps changing his arguments. Mm. No, to Harry, the law is always crazy. Well, in Magnum Force... There is the famous moment when he meets the biker gang for the first time, or the cops. And uh, he says that you've got the wrong guy or that you have read me wrong. And they leave the scene. They're not able to coax Dirty Harry to join their nefarious plans. So but... what is he devoted to, committed to as a character And when he says that? It's kind of ironic. From the exact same movie, he's committed to the crazy ass law he himself states that that the law is crazy and that he hates the system but he's still going to stick with it well you know continuing from the first film onwards the first one ends up with him feeling that the law is so crazy that he quits the force but the the magnum force then comes in and and you know that takes that ending and just quickly sweeps it under the rug. And from that point onwards, the law is still crazy. Harry still hates the system from the bottom of his heart. But he's still going to, you know, stick with it. And when you kind of ask that, perhaps why, if he so much hates the, hates the, the system itself, Callahan gives the, the excuse that that's because nobody has a better alternative to offer to him. There again, once again, I, I don't believe this. Not not from coming from Harry's end. Absolutely, and the only part that kind of differentiates the the cop killers, the killer cops, and and Harry is the fact that Dirty Harry still doesn't kill people who haven't killed people, whereas the the killer cops they just take as their targets whoever they deem as doing it wrong. Well, basically, Harry does the exact same thing. Except he doesn't Const kill people who doesn't kill people. Well, there is I mean, no promise that the victims of, of the vigilante traffic cops wouldn't also be killers themselves. We never actually, when it comes to the victims of the traffic cops, we never actually get the whole rap scene. What, what, the, what the targets have done... It it may be might be the exact same point that that Harry himself is driven by, that right. I only kill killers, 
in in fact, once again, in that same parking lot scene that that you refer, referenced earlier, Harry himself makes the point that you are at least not yet in that point mentally where you will would, you know, start killing people who have done such of a little misdemeanors that killing wouldn't be applicable. He only he spokes in future sense when he says that the path you are currently would eventually take you to a point where you start killing people for, for jaywalking and other such, even non-crimes. Says the guy who is about to, or plays around with a bank robber's life, and is sure that his magnum doesn't have any more bullets. What is the difference indeed with Dirty Harry and the killer cops in magnum? If indeed the targets of the killer cops is they are if they are killers then it's there's no difference whether he says he's upholding or following the law or not there really is is no strong difference between harry and and the, the traffic cops no matter how strongly the magnum force itself tries to convince you that it's arguing otherwise when it comes to, basically, there is only a one minor difference that I can actually see between Harry and the traffic cops. And that's the case that the sequels, and especially Magnum Force here, makes the point that Callahan is a hunter. He's, the, the Magnum he uses is more of a hunting weapon than anything for urban combat. He's flat, as shown in, in Magnum Force, very minimalistic, with nothing except few beers in the fridge. No food or anything like that. It's a cliche for certain, but it makes kind of a point in regarding Harry's character. So, Harry is a hunter, someone who only exists to hunt and has minimal regard at best to the world outside of his hunt. And what does, but then you can kind of ask that, what does that say about Harry as a cop? He can't be on the job to protect and serve since he's a hunter. Uh, and outside of the outside of his own world of occasional you know getting occasional pussy there's nothing that has ever actually shown that would interest harry so in the in in that sense harry is nothing more than he's such a white man who has read the most dangerous game one times too many and has realized that you can he can have the most fun when hiding behind the badge Killing isn't wrong if if a good guy does it. In the, the, the film essentially screams at you. And therefore, Harry quitting the force and walking away in the first one is, is a dishonest moment in that film. And that's kind of the only... Once again, keeping with, with the, the whole Hunter aesthetic, I would say the only difference that Harry can see between himself and, and the motorcycle cops is that the cops, the motorcycle cops are not hunters, at least not in, in Harry's term. They use, uh, they use surprise tactics, they ambush their targets and catch them off guard, uh, off guard and does unsportsmanlike things. Red card. And that's basically, you know, the main difference. They're coming to Dirty Harry's turf. Get the hell out of San Francisco, this is my place, Biage. Isn't it kind of that? It is. It is. Him him being a hunter, it also portrays him against the, the other major hunter character that the franchise has, 
which is the first film's Scorpio killer. The, the point was already made that Don, Don Seco tried to argue that Dirty Harry is as bad as, as Scorpio. And to credit to Don Siegel for, for the statement, he's absolutely right in that. In, in fact, as, as the sequels go on, Harry becomes so in line with, with Scorpio that where the first film shows Scorpio kidnapping a whole school bus full of children, and that's a bad thing to do, and the film, the first film argues that Harry should ex especially put Scorpio down for that crime, then in, in the fourth one, Harry himself kidnaps a bus, this time bus full of elderly, and places <laughs> them on, the, on danger. So basically, Harry also does the exact same crime as Scorpio does, except Harry just happens to be hiding behind his badge. We didn't, I believe, just yet mention the fact that in the, at least one of the treatments of, of the film, yeah, it was the original draft, it was said so that uh, police would snipe Scorpio, therefore taking, you know, the, the kind of a climatic or the controversial kill at the end of the first Dirty Harry away from Dirty Harry. But Clint Eastwood said that, look, guys, this doesn't make any sense. It's This is the, the climax that we've been waiting for him. So he wanted to go with the version where he shoots him. When it comes to the Enforcer, the third one, apart from the obvious part, which is the problem with the, the treatment of women, for starters, is the kind of anticlimactic and all through the movie non-physical confrontations with the antagonist. In the end, shooting him with a bazooka it just was a very, very lackluster ending compared to the any of the other ones. Yeah, this one takes a, a downward turn for sure. Um, it's not as exciting. It's definitely, as you said, its treatment of women is abhorrent, as pretty much all the films are in this series. And all, all minorities or women are yeah. treated and as caricatures. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. Uh, I mean, I don't think any of these films pass the Bechdel test at all. But I just I like that at some point when the third one, the third one was nineteen seventy six, we're in the middle of women's liberation, and I just love probably sitting in some room somewhere was someone saying, "Hey, listen, we gotta like, how do we fit in this women's lib thing into into this Dirty Harry film? Oh, let's give him." the hardest challenge he's ever faced. And I can just imagine the trailers, you know, like, this summer, Dirty Harry faces his most challenging day on the job ever, having a woman as his partner. Coming July 23rd. You know, I just, it's so ridiculous. It's so terrible. And Tyne Daly is magnificent. She's a fabulous actress. I love her so much. But goddamn, this movie is just... Yeah, that the interview process with Clint and the, the woman character. It's, just, it's all over the place. You have a situation where it's basically trying to backtrack what it starts to do. It's not doing a good job at it. It tries to frame it in the middle as such that I'm just trying to take care of you and make sure that you are up for the job. But never mind all of my, you know, 
all these looks that and stupid questions that really shouldn't be there for anyone, whether you have a little experience or not. Yeah, and I think what it, the real damage that that scene does is it creates this idea that is then perpetuated in the culture and then soaks into people's minds, and this yeah. is what they think of as uh, affirmative action, is yeah. this idea of you're going to give an undeserved promotion to some minority rather than the white guy over there who deserves it. And that's what this film says is, oh, that's what we have to do is, well, there's all these, you know, we have, I think they said it was eight vacancies. They're going to hire five men and three women. Mm-hmm. And here's one of them. And he asked, tell me about your first misdemeanor arrest, your first felony arrest. She's never arrested anyone. And yet, oh, my God, but we're going to have to give the job to her so that we can say we gave it to a woman. Okay, that is not how this works. And what that does is then create plant the seeds of discontent in people who later, when they hear about affirmative action or people trying to diversify a company or such, they're going to think back to, oh, that means you're going to give it to some undeserving person so you can check your box to say we met some quota by hiring a person of color or hiring a woman or hiring a queer person or whatever it is. Uh, and that really, really bothered me in terms of this idea of, of you know, equity in the workplace. I know that, in, for example, in the UK, it's illegal to fill such quotas. You are just evaluated basically only on the terms of your ability to do the job. So... Are you saying that this is not still, it's not how affirm, affirmative action works filling quotas? It's 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 not and but this is the common argument against affirmative action is right. that this that's what it is is oh no you're just going to give it to some undeserving person because we need to have that box checked. Right. Now can I I'm shocking I'm going to give a second compliment. Are we ready for that? Ooh. I will say, speaking of equity in the workplace, one thing the third film does is after the first two films of a lot of tits and ass on female bodies, we see some dicks in this film. Oh, we do. And I, and I just want to give a little tip of the hat. Thank you for the, for the equity in the workplace, for all the female nudity that we had to put up with, and then now we got a little male nudity for once. Well done. Yeah, well, you have to have some male nudity in, in part three, seeing how the bad guys in in the Enforcer are, well, essentially the leftists and the gays. And dicks. So, you know, bare dick is, is kind of the bare minimum that you have to have. So you're saying that it's all about symbolism. Yeah, could be. Smart symbolism. But some, uh, but something else that also happens from from three is is that the entire franchise kind of it it changes gears when it comes to the tone of, of these films. The from three onwards, the films have more attempts at comedy and and more attempts at at humor. This is perhaps the most obvious in in three's. The boss is reprimanding Harry scenes, where every single one of these films have have the moment where where some superior to Harry is is going to do, through the damage total. How much this is gonna cost to the city, and who is going to sue the city hall once again, thanks to Harry's actions. And 
in the previous two films this has been played in in serious tone but now in three it, it's it's kind of it's it's surprisingly humorous it's comedical scene it's almost like from a sitcom like it, you can almost imagine the smoke coming from the superior's ears as he's yelling god damn it Callahan <laughs> and that kind of sticks with the films even even with the fourth one which has the hot dog bun that that humorous tone unfortunately also comes with the nasty ass side effect that the the more this is this jokey jokes funny fun attitude also carries into harry's violent tendencies to a point where some of the killings that harry does in in the, in the next one the fourth in in the series they are actually played just as as laughs as, as goofs like for example the elderly guy that harry causes to have a heart attack at the at the restaurant scene in in the fourth film oh, goodness me and that's a that's a basically choky choke scene dirty harry the, the fourth I will, this is most definitely the the weakest film structurally of the franchise for me well it, it was basically everyone i mean after after the enforcer the whole franchise was in hiatus for seven years eastwood himself walked out from from dirty harry and didn't return except you know on, on the on the fourth one when where he now acts as a director there's something too i in the beginning if I'm remembering correctly, in the beginning of this film, this is the one where he's lamenting the fact that, you know, once again, sort of something has gone wrong where he took the law into his own hands and did something and it came back to bite him in the ass in the beginning. And he's sort of lamenting about that with his superiors and such. Okay, let's, even if we accept the premise that the system is bad, even though a lot of the times they're just, they're, they're not representing the law correctly. But even if we accept that premise of the system's bad, why do you keep fucking it up? Like, you obviously know the rules. Why don't you follow them? So you keep complaining, oh, another guy just got let out because, you know, of we didn't follow the rules here and there was this technicality that wasn't followed there and we didn't do process there. Okay, so you, you obviously know these rules. Have you not learned your lesson? And why are you that, not that... trying to actively change the rules then if they're not to your liking? Do something instead yeah. of complaining and shooting people in the head. <laughs> the last installment, if we can move there, to Deadpool. Yeah, even here we have pretty interesting choices. A critic who was criticizing the Dirty Harry films is the one who gets vaporized in the film by the killer. It's supposed to be a critic from real life. It was in the fourth part when Harry started suddenly saying swell, swell to everything. Continues in the fifth part. Seems to be really fond of that. Yeah, I took it that it's once again keeping in line with the more comedical tone. Like now, Dirty Harry also must have the, the jokey joke, kind of repeated catchphrase, which is not one of the iconic "Do you feel lucky, punk?" But some something that you can kind of that you can hope that you get few laughs out of the audience through the act of repetition. And introducing a Chinese American, who of course. Naturally, does martial arts. Naturally, of course. And is protected by ancient Chinese dragon magic. Literally. 
yeah. But it's not it's not his doing, it's somebody else, so it's okay. Not. I'm so glad you brought that up, Kari. I mean, and you, you know, again, you, you know, in that writer's room, they're sitting there saying, all right, well, it's, it's, it's the 80s. We've got we to gotta diversify a bit. Let's give him an Asian sidekick who's mm-hmm. going to whop out some martial arts without any explanation. And of course, of course, he knows martial arts. And isn't that going to be great for our film? Audiences are going to love it. And most importantly, Dirty Harry's character approves his sidekick because of he this. Can, he can phys- physically hold his vomit back from having to be within three feet of a person that's not an, an, another white male. I mean, by God, what, what, so brave. So brave. Yeah. Just a side notion about the Guns N' Roses at the funeral. Guns N' Roses in this film in the first place. We are talking about a film where... You know, this is celebrities willing to be in a movie about a celebrity killer, right? And actually, Axel Rose, especially, who at least became a few years later a guy as paranoid, paranoid about his own safety back in the day that he would go to the stage wearing bulletproof vests. So it was a pretty curious case to see him here. All right, would it be quickies? Yeah, certainly. Why not? Let's do it. Special mention for an actor goes to... Eastwood. Eastwood. If I had to pick someone, I guess it would be him. Is there any small roles in the film that you would somehow want to highlight for whatever reason? I do. Uh, It's not for a good reason. It's for a humorous reason or an odd reason. What is up with several, not just one, but several people in this series who get shot point blank in the head and then react to it. (laughs) Like, they don't get shot in the head and then just, like, fall where they are. They get shot in the head, and then they have this, like, oh, no! Like, there's there's an actual facial expression reaction to getting shot in the head between the eyes. I just find that hilarious. Yeah. tip, Tip of the hat to those actors. And rolling their eyes in a way of, like, saying, oh, fuck. When they yeah. have already oh, shot him. shit. I got <laughs> shot in the head. God damn it. This is going to ruin my weekend. Right. Will someone call my wife? We won't make it to the lake this weekend. You had one job. <laughs> I'll go with the lady at the cafeteria who is there very determinedly serving Dirty Harry the sugar with the sugar. That was nice. I believe the character is Loretta, the coffee shop waitress, played by Mara Corday. What resonated with you the most, or the least? Well, for me, most resonating part, perhaps Dirty Harry's character, although it's the same character Eastwood plays all too often. Least resonating was the, as I already stated, the done-to-death nighttime goddamn helicopter establishing opening shitty techno music part. Mm. The, the music in these films is, yeah, well, I have nothing good to say, so I'm not going to say anymore. I think the thing that resonated with me, stuck with me, was that he doesn't shoot from his eye. He shoots from his chest. He doesn't hold the gun up to like <laughs> aim it. He just holds it like at his at his chest and shoots. And good. meanwhile, never misses. Huh? Meanwhile, you've got the stormtrooper effect happening for any person who's trying to shoot him. There you go. Henry, any thoughts? 
Well, with me, what resonated the most was... Well, I have to also go with, with Harry's character. I, there is a there's a constant chance. This is something that drove me nuts with with Dirty Harry films. There's a constant chance that you can actually have an actual discussion about some pretty heavy t- themes like police brutality and lack supervision and exactly how tough and and hard cops have to be. And the films. All the goddamn time, every single one of them, in the end, chickens out from 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 having this discussion. Like it's it's kind of a like constant cock teasing where, where you are like there's an opportunity and the films repeatedly, constantly are too afraid to actually grab that opportunity and do anything with that. Actually, even to a point where they are too afraid to actually make a statement of any kind outside of Dirty Harry is really cool. They're obviously not going to do that in a way that in the Enforcer, Dirty Harry would become the, the, the absolute sexist, like so head-on sexist that there would be no doubt that this guy absolutely maybe despises women, let's say. Let's put it into the, that kind of a extreme. And then at the end, he would kind of start to learn that this is wrong or have any kind of that kind of a discussion or transformation of the character, I, I would say it doesn't happen in The Enforcer or any of these goddamn films. No. And and when it comes to basically making a statement, I, I would say Sudden Impact had the best opportunity outside of the first film. Where, or per, per, perhaps but the first one, The Magnum Force and, and Sudden Impact. They, they have perhaps the best opportunities for Harry to make any kind of a statement. Especially Sudden Impact, because in Sudden Impact, Harry as a character is in pretty safe ground. But once again, once again, it, it toys with heavy subject matters and then it doesn't do anything with them. Indeed. In one attractive or more, how would you describe the Dirty Harry films? Zack, maybe. Macho. Macho, macho man. <laughs> yeah, I go with cover toy. I go with time capsuling, I go with political ish and childish. Oof. It's guns for the kids. There's no real story to learn. Do you do you have any favorite quote? I mean there's definitely famous quotes from these films. I mean that are still referenced today. Um and I think the one that I think I like the most is probably go ahead make my day. Yeah, short and sweet. I would go with, I know what you're thinking. Did you fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you that I can't carry on anymore. (laughs) We've heard it too many times. Yeah, I go with nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Very wise choice. Henrik, would you consider to watch these films again? Uh, Most likely, yeah. I I would say yeah I I will definitely the first two as they are the best one, best ones in in the franchise but most likely I will at some point check out even even you know three four and five even though I'm less I I'm more hesitant on on revisiting those at any at some point in in future than 
than than you know the original and and Magnum Force. Zach, how is the rewatchability of Dirty Harry? I I, I I'm gonna say no, dog. I, I'm I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I mean the 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 first and I agree with Henrik. The the first two are the the better ones. So if I had to rewatch one one yes. of them, it would be the first or second one. But uh, I I think I'm good. Yeah, I will probably revisit this, but that would be if somebody recommended me to, to watch it for whatever reason, to go more into the deep political analysis of Dirty Harry. Do you think the films have any staying power or legacy? Will people remember this in a few years? I would say yes, of course. Although you don't need to remember more than the, the first two. People will remember the first two Outside of that, I would say no. Like, when we were preparing for, for the episode over, when we were talking about that we are going to do Dirty Harry movies, the, the question that I kept, kept hearing was exactly how many films are there. Right, yeah, it was never a franchise that I just happened to watch. And I still think that these are not pretty films to look at. I think it's just, you know your average cinematography, okay, apart from maybe the, the first film, it starts pretty nicely, that shot at the pool, at the house. But these are pretty boring to look at. Agreed. Would you recommend the Dirty Harry series? Only under certain circumstances. I would say, generally speaking, no. But I would say yes, again, probably only to the, the first film, the first two films. If someone wanted to sort of find uh, where do we get these archetypes for this sort of American action film lead hero, um, I would say you could sort of watch it for historical purposes. That's the only reason to watch D.W. Griffith. Not that I'm making any comparisons here. <laughs> Herrick, would you recommend the Dirty Harry franchise? It's kind of a difficult question. Uh, the entire franchise, absolutely not. The first two ones, kind of, yeah. I I would be ready to, to recommend them, as I, I find them, in the end, quite enjoyable, pretty okay, pretty good, a little action th cop thrillers. The questions, as you mentioned, Griffith is essentially the same one that got asked in the A Birth of the Nation episode, which is, should people actually watch Dirty Harry movies? Like, are the attitudes, or are the films kind of articulating enough that it, it's easy for you to, to get swept by them? And are the attitudes that the films propose and champion so harmful that we should actually, you know, not recommend the movies in order to not promote these ideal, ideals to basically anyone who would at some point gonna be serving in law enforcement. It's, it's kind of, are these, can these movies be even dangerous? Argument. And Henrik, it was your original recommendation to go the go through the Dirty Harry series, and there you mentioned that you proposed at least two questions. What does the Dirty Harry films say about the the law enforcement in the U.S. 
And should these films be outright banned? Do you have anything on those? Well, I think that what what the films say about law enforcement, that has already been been answered. Yeah. Nothing nice. And when it comes to should the films be banned, I I kind of still don't know. I mean, of course, as a film buff, I'm by I'm by nature I'm I'm prone to recommend seeing and and savoring movies. That's kind of my my go-to attitude whenever a movie is is in question. But with with Dirty Harry, the that the hatred towards the system is on such a level. And basically the the necessities when it comes to, to, to usage of power in law enforcement are so high or, or the demand what type of type of brute force you should be allowed to use is so high in Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry champions that cops should be able to shoot people in the back, execute people, should be able to be to torture suspects and even even you know cover up for a serial killer the thing is that if you go to basically any youtube comment section where where the policing is 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 talked about or where dirty harry films are talked about you constantly run into a countless amount of arguments that we need more cops like harry or, or that the, the motorcycle cops in, in Magnum Force were not the bad guys. Yeah, people are actually serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that kind of rises the, the question that, I, I don't know, maybe these should be banned. I mean, uh, hell, if, if you are American and you you dream of someday becoming a police officer, maybe especially in that case, yeah, yeah, dirty Harry movies should be taken away from you. It's a tricky question. I never really believe in banning anything. You have even discussed of the idea of maybe visiting a cannibal holocaust in this podcast. And that I see as a kind of ethical problem, just promoting such of a film. Dirty Harry is problematic. So is The Birth of a, a, Birth of a Nation and so many other movies. And I think we can learn something from these movies. There will always be these people who will read it in a different way, and it's hard to say. I, I don't believe in banning out, right? No. And maybe if you give me some more arguments, maybe. That's, that could be a good question for our listeners. Should this film be banned? <laughs> I would already guess that the comment section is going to be extremely heavily on the no side. But would I recommend the Dirty Harry films... I would recommend them as an entertainment. I would recommend the first two, but not as any kind of a supportive statement towards vigilantism or rogue policing, obviously. And you shouldn't watch them for those purposes either. And I hope, I dearly hope, it wasn't the filmmaker's intention either to make it as a supportive statement towards illegal action. Yeah, the first Dirty Harry has the most successful cinematic structure for me. It's it's low. I think it builds the tension the best. Aside from like minor missions to, to showcase the Harry character, it slowly moves Harry closer to Scorpio. The character of Scorpio is over the top for me and it may distract some viewers out of the, the film. Would you 
put these films in any orders, order of preference. The first one, Magnum Falls. Uh, then, I, I guess Sudden Impact. Then the fifth one, The Deadpool. And Enforcer would be the last one. I'll go with uh, the, the first one as the first. Then Magnum Force. Then the fifth one, The Deadpool. Then Enforcer, then a Sudden Impact. Zach? I'll echo that and say Dirty Harry, then Magnum Force. Four and five, I could I could go either way. And then, but then the Enforcer last. So complete the sentence, please. You really know you're watching the Dirty Harry series when dot dot dot. You really know you're watching the Dirty Harry films when you realize where the American policemen get their inspiration from. Sorry about that. Truth. I would say you really know you're watching the Dirty Harry film series when you see a helicopter establishing night shot of a city with a saxophone techno plays <laughs> over the main title sequence. You really know that you're watching Dirty Harry films when you all of a sudden realize that the system has completely failed the mental health patients. So the only option left to you is to just kill the bastards. <laughs> just kill the bastard. Just kill the bastard. And dear listener, would you recommend Dirty Harry franchise? Tell us in the comments in our social media. Only nice comments, please. Any thoughts before we head to the outro, guys? You know, I have to say, I, I, because this is a very American film, I can't help but wonder, what would this film look like if it were a UK story? Or if it were <laughs> a Finnish story? Or a Swedish story? What... What, what, what would that look like? <laughs> I, I need to see that. <laughs> Honestly, Zach, I can't even imagine that. I can't either. That's why I <laughs> want to see that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the uh, spoiler for the first episode of Breaking Bad. You know, it's, he, he goes to his doctor and the doctor says, I'm so sorry to tell you, you have cancer. And then he has to go and create meth to, you know, pay for his treatment. And it's like, but if the story had taken place in Canada, it would have been, I'm so sorry, you have cancer. We're going to take care of you and you're going to be fine. No charge. <laughs> and that's it. It ends after the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's probably true. Yeah, because you guys got your shit together over there. We're over here saying, oh, no, because of freedom. We have to have the most expensive and not the greatest healthcare system in the world. And we think that that's making us more free. By having a company like GoFundMe be the most popular medical insurance system in the country. Oh, but that's a whole other soapbox. We would like to invite you to continue this conversation with us online on social media pages and Hopefully you'll leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. In the next episode, it's going to be a three-movie deathmatch. The American, The Ring, versus the so-called original version from Japan, Ringu, versus the Korean version, Ring. Thank you for joining us. See you in a fortnight. Until then!
Yeah. Sort of just jumping into the deep end there. <laughs>